that I couldn't let this series go quite yet. So apparently I wasn't ready to let the series go. I should listen to my own words and let things go. However, there's one more week that we needed to cover during this sermon series called Let It Go. And the series has been about talking about overcoming offenses, right? And how do we forgive? It's been about forgiveness. And if you remember last week, we talked about forgiving God. And right, we technically, we never forgive God because God doesn't sin. So we don't actually need to forgive him. But we talked about people that kind of hold a grudge against God or have, have some have some long-held feelings of, of hurt and resentment and everything like that toward God. Uh, and, and how do we reconcile those feelings? How do we make things right? We talked about that last week. And today I want to talk about forgiveness in a way that maybe some of you may be dealing with even right now as I speak. Um, and it's forgiving the most difficult person to forgive, and that is not your mother-in-law, it's yourself. Forgiving yourself is what we're going to talk about this week. How do you forgive yourself when you've let yourself down? How do you forgive yourself when you feel like you've maybe let God down? Or maybe you've hurt someone that you really love, and when you think about it, it can be so difficult to forgive ourselves of things because we know what we did, and we know what we did that we shouldn't have done, we know what we wish we hadn't done that we can't undo now. We know the words that we said and we didn't really mean. I mean, maybe we kind of meant it at the time, but it's, it's not our heart. And we, we said some words that came out of the mouth and we really hurt someone that we love. And we, we think about these things. We carry these burdens around. We carry around the shame of that. We carry around the guilt of that. And how can I forgive myself after what I did or after who I was in this particular situation. This was a real issue for me as a new Christian and as a new believer. See, I was I was the sarcastic guy, right? I was the guy that, that always had the quick comeback or always had some, some, some quick response. And many times when I was a new Christian, I, was, I, I wasn't always in church, and some of you know my testimony, but I was in my early 20s when I came to know the Lord. And so I had 20-some years of being the quick response guy, right? The sarcastic guy. Well, you get a dig, I'm going to get a better dig. You get a better, you get a comment to me, I'm coming at you. I used to tell people, I'm the guy that can make you cry just with my words. I'm the guy that can have the comeback. I'm the guy that's going to zing you. I'm the guy. And I had a hard time with that when I was a first Christ, a baby Christian because I said a lot of hurtful things and I had to learn how to ask for forgiveness and I had to learn how to forgive myself and maybe you have said something or or done something and you feel very very guilty about it and sometimes we say some things to some people or we might do some things towards some people that that we just can't get back those people maybe have passed those people are no longer in our lives at all and we can't reach out we can't and now we have to deal with ourselves how do I Jesus might have forgiven us yes but how do I forgive myself? And I don't know what it might be for you. You know, maybe maybe you had one too many one night, and and you, and you and you said something that you can't undo. And before you knew Jesus, and now you can't you can't go back, and you can't unsay it. Maybe it was years ago. You know, in your your teens or early twenties, when you felt concerned, maybe a very desperate situation, and you made what you thought was the right decision at the time, but you've regretted that ever since. 
maybe in the name of, of loving your family, you thought it was best, so you poured yourself into your work, and you said, I'm doing this for my, my family. I need to be a good provider, and I'm going to be successful. And then years and years went by. Suddenly, you're disconnected with everyone in your family, and you think, why? What did I do? I'm disconnected. Why did I do that? The whole time, the most important thing was right in front of me, and yet I poured my life into something else. I just can't get over the guilt that I neglected my family. Maybe it's, maybe it's another thing for you. Maybe it's a very real and present thing for you. Maybe it's the clicking, the looking at things that you know you shouldn't be looking at, and you really do love God. And if you're, you know, if you're a married person, you really do love your spouse, but you keep going back. And guys, I know this is a reality for some people. You keep going back and back and back again. And the shame and the guilt is overwhelming in your life. It's time to get real this morning, folks. It's time to get real. What do you do when what you did haunts you? What do you do when the guilt simply just won't go away? And that's why I've titled this message, Why Can't I Forgive Myself? Why can't I forgive myself? What do you do with the guilt? And I want to start today by acknowledging something that is very important. And that is this. Some of you, first of all, not all guilt, and if you're taking notes, this is a good one. You might want to write this down if you're a note taker. If you're not a note taker, you might want to write this down. Not all guilt is created equal. Not all guilt is created equal. Some of you are living under what what we might call false guilt. In other words, you're feeling guilty for something that you really shouldn't be feeling guilty about. And I want to release you from that this morning. I don't know what it might be, but maybe you were a, a kid and, and you're a te- your teenager or something, you're, and you're, your parents divorced, and, and somehow you feel that it was your fault, and in some weird way you feel like you should have done something, maybe you could have done something, You know, if I had, maybe my parents would. It's all my fault and they divorced. Let me tell you something this morning. That is not your fault. That's not your fault. See, that's what I'm talking about, false guilt. It's not your fault. And tragically, I come across so many people that were victims of someone who abused their power. There might be those of you that someone that you trusted, that you love, that you, that you took, that you, you, you love them, you look up to them, but they took advantage of their power and and maybe physically or emotionally in some way they abused you and so it's so tragic because the saddest part of all of that is so many of those victims feel like somehow it was their fault maybe some way somehow it was my fault that they did that to me that was not your fault that is false guilt all guilt is not created equal that was not your fault don't buy into the devil's the the devil's game of shaming you with this false guilt. False guilt is always dangerous, it's always non-productive, and it's not from God, and we need to let that go. Let it go. False guilt. Not all guilt is created equal. There's another, another type of guilt. And this guilt can actually, believe it or not, can actually be a gift when you let it draw you closer to God. There's a good type. Of guilt. The right type of guilt can be a gift when it draws you into the presence of God. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it tells us this. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse, verse 10. Godly sorrow. Everybody say godly sorrow. Put it in the chat. Godly 
sorrow. Godly sorrow, Scripture says, brings repentance. It draws you closer. A sorrow that says, I wish I hadn't done that. That wasn't the right thing. I dishonored God. I hurt someone. I would give anything to not do that again. It brings repentance. And that leads to salvation, the Scripture says. And it leaves, here's very important, it leaves no regret. This is the Scripture. Aren't you glad that this is in the Scripture? (laughs) Godly sorrow, this sort of godly guilt, if you will, brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. How many would love to have no regret? How many joining us online or, or here this morning have some regrets? The one, the one word I kept hearing as I'm preparing this message is people have regret. But godly sorrow leads to salvation. And that leaves no regret. No regret. But there's another type of guilt or sorrow and that's worldly sorrow and the worldly sorrow the scripture says brings death let's talk about some godly sorrow for a moment this feeling of of conviction you know oh no i I did something that's not right and i am so so sorry about it this type of conviction can actually be good and helpful because it can take take you off of a wrong path and it can put you onto the right path This is a godly sorrow that says, you know what? I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to say what I said before. I don't want to do that. I want to change directions. I want to change my behavior. I want to apologize. I want to live in freedom. I want to express God's love, and I want to heal from what happened in the past. That's what repentance is. It's changing direction. Godly sorrow brings upon this feeling of, you know what, I, I, I am sorry and I do feel guilty. However, it's godly sorrow and it brings me to repentance. I was going this way. I no longer want to go this way. I want to go this way. Repentance, to turn it means, to turn the other way, 180 degrees. I was going this way, now I'm going this way. I don't want to live that way anymore. That's godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. There's a big difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And a great example of godly sorrow is Peter in the New Testament. Many of you can probably relate to Peter. I I know I can. Peter was a guy that had a lot of good qualities, a lot of great qualities. Peter had a lot of zeal and a lot of a lot of go and a lot of let's do this. And he had a lot of wonderful qualities, but then he would just do something like stupid on steroids. Just dumb. What were you thinking? You read the scripture, and it's in there. Can anybody relate to that this morning? Just kind of, just kind of, you're going along, you're going in the right direction, you're honoring God, you're doing the right thing, you're doing good things, you're in the zone, and then one day, boom, dumb, dumb, dumber, and dumb, dumb decision. Like, where did that come from? That was Peter. And unfortunately, this can be me, and this can be you. Peter, he's kind of bragging on himself, right? He's kind of, you know, Jesus, I'm your guy, man. I mean, he walks up to him and gives him, like, the hand. You know, hey, Jesus, man. You know, gives him the bro hug. Yeah, Jesus. Everybody else denies you? Not me. I got your back, Jesus. I'm your guy. I'm in your corner. I'll always be there for you, Jesus. I'm your guy. If everybody else lets you down, hey, if you're in a battle, Jesus, you want me in your army, Jesus. I will never let you down. 
And then Jesus kind of sees through his pride and he sees his weakness. And he, Jesus says, he actually prophesies. He says, hey, Peter, might want to chill a little bit because before the rooster crows, you're actually going to deny me three times. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus gets arrested and a little girl walks up. little girl with a Snoopy lunchbox walks up and he says, hey, weren't you the guy that was with Jesus? And Peter's like, Jesus who? I don't know who you're talking about. Another woman comes up to him and says, hey, weren't, weren't you one of the disciples? Weren't you with him? Weren't you, weren't you there? Weren't you walking with Jesus? Peter's like, I don't know who you're talking about. I wasn't there. I, I have no idea what you're saying right now, woman. I was home. I have no idea. I was not with Jesus. I was home doing crossword puzzles, and I was just chilling out, sharpening my sword so I can work on cutting ears off. It's lonely up here, folks. Just a little laughter would be helpful. And then we read in Scripture about a third person that confronts confronts, uh, Peter in Luke 22. So if you have your Bibles with you or your apps, open them up, Luke 22. In verse 59, it says this. About an hour later, another person asserted, certainly this fellow was with him. Speaking of Peter, certainly this fellow was with Jesus. He's a Galilean. And after Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, that rooster crowed. And I'm going to show you a portion of Scripture that maybe you haven't read on and seen this before. But just at the moment that Peter denies Jesus, denies knowing him, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Verse 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. The moment that Peter let Jesus down, Peter looked at him and Jesus, and he caught him straight in the eye, and Peter remembered what the Lord had said. Before the rooster crows, today, you will disown me three times, the scripture says. Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. This is a godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Oh, You just picture Peter, I can't believe I did what I did. And I am so, so, so sorry. That was stupid on steroids. What did I do? Friends, have you ever felt like that? You ever had that moment? In the middle of your best intentions. Oh, I'll never do that again. And then a short time later, you do it again. I truly love this person with all of my heart. And then in a moment of anger, you say something that you'll regret for years and years to come. You promise yourself that you will always, and then you don't, or you'll never, and then you do, and then you wake up and you go, I can't believe I did that. Why was I so stupid? How could God ever love someone like me that never gets it right? that always falls short, that always hurts someone I love in a significant way. The moment that you're there, the enemy of your soul, the devil has you exactly where he wants you. The moment you're dwelling in your shame, your spiritual enemy has you in a corner. Because shame is the devil's playground. Shame is where he wants you. There's a big difference between godly sorrow, guilt, and shame 
There's a big difference between those two. What does guilt say? Guilt says, I did something bad, right? I did something that was wrong, but it's, it's kind of a separate act, right? It's forgivable. Guilt said, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. Shame says, I'm a bad person. Not just I did something bad, but I'm a bad person. And what the devil is, he tries to, to use your actions to connect it with your identity. To create a sense of shame. From this moment forward, the devil wants you to believe that you are pathetic. That you are worthless. That you are useless. God will never use you again after what you thought, after what you said. You'll never be happy. You'll never be blessed. You'll never measure up. You'll never have a real ministry. You'll never have a great marriage. Look at who you are. Your kids are never going to honor you. You're not going to leave a great legacy. You're always going to be marked by the thing you did because that's who you are. You are worthless and bad. Oh, and that pain, the devil will tell you. The bad, that pain that you're experiencing from that, that regret and that pain, well, that's just payment because you deserve it. You deserve that. And that moment where you start dwelling in that shame your spiritual enemy has you exactly where he wants you. And you can almost imagine what the devil would have been telling Peter about this time, right? Peter, oh man, you blew it. You blew it. Man, Jesus picked you out, Peter. Jesus himself selected you, Peter. Jesus trusted you. Jesus, out of all the people in the world, Jesus picked you, Peter, to be one of his disciples. And then you went off bragging about how great you were and you'd be there for him and you wouldn't let him down and then you let him down. You betrayed him. You fell short. And to top it off, Peter, Jesus saw you do it. Scripture says he looked right at him. He looked you right in the eye, Peter, and guess what? All the disciples are going to know. Every one of them is going to know about it. And you're never going to have any credibility again, Peter. Your life is over. Your integrity is shot. Your ministry is ruined. Peter, you should be so ashamed of yourself. Shame is the devil's playground. The enemy can speak to you through shame and beat you down. And your spiritual enemy wants to use shame, your shame, to drive you away from God. You're not good enough. You'll never measure up after what you did and the way you think and behave after what you said. God could never really even love you. The devil wants to use your shame to drive you away from God. But God wants to use your guilt to draw you to his grace. See the difference in godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. God wants to use your guilt in a good way to draw you into his grace. Draw you in. See the difference this morning. See the difference. God wants to use that godly sorrow to draw you in and closer to Him. Amen? I heard some preachers say, come on, somebody. God wants to draw you in. Feel that power. Feel the difference in that. That the worldly shame, the worldly sorrow wants to push you away from God. And the godly sorrow wants to draw you near. Godly sorrow says, I don't want that anymore. And I have a safe place to return to. 
I have a God who loves me, a God who still cares about me, a God who me, receives me, and His mercies are new every morning. The devil wants to use your shame to drive you away from God. You'll never be successful. You'll never, never be fulfilled. You'll never have anything significant or meaningful. But your God is full of goodness. He wants to use godly sorrow, a healthy guilt, if you will, to draw you to His grace so you receive His mercy. And you are free to do His will. Think about this. Think about what Peter has done. We've talked about it now, and it's in the Scripture. Think about what Peter has done. And it's very similar comparing what Peter had done to what Judas did. And here's the difference. You see, Peter, if you don't know Judas's story, just like Peter, Peter denied Jesus three times. Well, Judas betrayed him one time for 30 pieces of silver. And instead of having a godly sorrow, Judas had what many of us have. And in his shame, he had a worldly sorrow. You know, like, I, I'm so busted right now. Worldly sorrow. I, I, my life is over. I can't believe what I did. I'm sure the devil was right. You're right, Judas. Worthless. I got caught. Judas said, I got caught. I'm embarrassed and ashamed and I can't face anyone again. And so what did Jesus, what did Judas do in this moment? In his shame, instead of letting that godly sorrow draw him to repentance, he let the worldly sorrow separate himself from God and he took his own life. Shame is the devil's playground. And then there was Peter, who essentially did something very similar to Judas. But instead, he had a very godly sorrow. And I'm so glad that Peter realized this godly sorrow. Peter says, you know what? I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And godly sorrow, the scripture says, leads to repentance. Simply changing direction. Re means to turn, and pent is kind of like living in the penthouse. It's turning from a lower way to a higher way. It's turning from a lower way to a higher way and a better way. Repentance. And it's simply turning. God, I'm so sorry. I don't ever want to live like this again. I don't want to talk like that again. I don't want to treat someone like that again. I want to live in your ways, God. I need to find freedom. I need to be a blessing. God, I want to be your voice of hope. It's godly sorrow that leads to repentance. I acknowledge that I sinned, God. I'm sorry. I'm not making any excuses, God, for what I have done or what I didn't do. It's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Jesus went on to give his life. Why? For the forgiveness of our sins. We talked about it in song this morning. The one who was perfect became sin for us on a cross. He died in our place and the world went dark. Three days later when some women came to the tomb to check on some things, with a stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. The Son of God, Jesus, was not there, but God raised him for the dead so that what? We can be forgiven. So we can experience his grace. We can be drawn to him. No more shame. Here's what John's gospel says. Chapter 21, 1 John. 1 John, chapter 20, chapter 1, 9. Let's go, let's go there. Let's not go there yet. That's a preview. John's gospel says, you can read the powerful story about when, when Jesus shows up to Peter. Remember Peter, the one that failed Jesus we just talked about? 
um, he shows up in front of G- in front of Jesus, and and Jesus looks at Peter and the one who failed him and failed him again and denied Jesus right in front of his eyes. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, "Peter, do you love me?" Remember that account in scripture. Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, "Yes, you know I love you. I, I do. I love you. I love you, Jesus. Yes. I just did something stupid." Isn't that the way it is sometimes? Yes, I love you. Yes, I want to do what's right. Yes, I I want Jesus. I serve you. I love you. But yes, I messed up. And Jesus, I don't know why, but I messed up. I just did. Yes, Jesus, I love you. Let me tell you what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, see, Peter, I told you you were going to do it. I told you. Didn't I say, Jesus? Jesus looks at Peter and tells him, this is what you're going to do. Peter, didn't I tell you? that you were going to do that. I told you. He didn't say, good, I want you to think about what you did, Peter. I want you to dwell on your past for just a while and think about what you did. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say to Peter, all right, you're in spiritual timeout, Peter. He didn't do that. He didn't say you need to wallow in that sin for just a little while. You need to drown in your guilt because, well, you know, now you're going to hell where the worm never dies. That's my southern preacher. Where the worm never dies and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, Peter, you need to. He didn't do that. No, 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 he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Feel the power of Jesus. Feel the love of Jesus. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know I do. And I can imagine Jesus smiling and saying, then feed my sheep. In other words, then go do my will. Go show my love, Peter. Finish your assignment, Peter. Do you love me? Yeah, I I do. Then you're forgiven. Go do what I created you to do, Peter. Let me tell you what Peter didn't do. Peter didn't say, I just can't receive your grace. I'll never get over this. I don't deserve it, Jesus. Your grace might be enough for John. Your grace isn't enough for me. Feel that this morning. Feel that this morning. You'll never get over it, the devil will say. Peter didn't say, Jesus, I can't go on. You know what I've I've done? I'm beyond your grace. Your grace might be sufficient for someone else, but God, I don't believe your grace is sufficient for me. Peter didn't do that, but that's exactly what many of us do. God, you can't really forgive me. I deserve to live in shame for the rest of my life. I deserve this, Lord. I screwed up royally, and I'm just getting what I deserve. No. Peter acknowledged his sin. He apologized, and he repented, and he received that forgiveness from Jesus. I don't know what you're holding on to this morning. Something you didn't do years ago that maybe you should have done. Something that you did maybe still weighs heavy on you. Something that you said in a moment of stupidity. If you've confessed that to Jesus, hear me this morning, it is forgiven. And it's time for you to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. For those of you afraid that I'm going to break into a Disney song, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But I'll preach it in a sermon. Let it go. Feel that this morning. Let that weight go. 
John, 1 John 1, 9. If we, listen to this, if we confess our sins to God, our God is faithful and just, watch this, to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Let it go. If you've taken it before God, Jesus has covered it. God doesn't hold it against you. He's forgotten your sin. You're free. You are free. Don't let the pain of your past rob you from God's calling for your future. Let it go. Let it go. The neglect, the lies, the words that you said, the thoughts that you had, let it go. Because you need to acknowledge the truth that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you will it or you want it, you cannot change your past. But the good news is this morning, friends, God can change your future. Let it go. You did something you wish you hadn't done. Let it go. You betrayed someone. Let it go. You, you Let it go and spend the rest of your life being faithful to God. You got... You got addicted. You got hooked on something early on. You wish you weren't hooked on, but you're free now. Live and walk in that freedom and help others find that same freedom. Do you love him? Yes. Then go and do his will. Feed his sheep. Let it go. Maybe as we've walked, we kind of put a cap on this whole series, right? Maybe God has let God you felt has let you down. Maybe you let you let yourself down. You let somebody else down. It's covered by the blood of Jesus. Don't live in the past. Let it go. Whatever it is this morning, let it go. Here's what's going to happen, though, and be warned. Your spiritual enemy is sly and slick. Here's what's going to happen. Every now and then, he's going to try and bring up your past. Well, you did this, and remember, you thought that, and you did this, and you shouldn't have, and you should feel terrible, and you weren't there for them, and you let them down, and you can't ever undo that. And I've often heard, you know, any time that the enemy brings up your past, remind him of your future, let me reshape that just a little bit. Anytime the devil brings up your past, remind yourself he's bringing up your past because he is intimidated by your future. Let the, let the devil be scared when your feet hit the ground this morning and go, oh no, she's up. God's hand is still on you. His grace is still in you. His power still works through you, church. Remind yourself that the enemy's trying to ca- talk you out of God's potential for your life. Think about it. Think about Peter. And this means so much to me because why did God choose, or who did God choose to be the guest speaker at the greatest day in Christian history on Pentecost? When God poured out His Spirit, that day, who did God choose to be that speaker on that day? Peter. And what was Peter's message? It was very simple and yet unbelievably powerful. Peter said, repent of your sins. Just turn away from it. Call on the name of Jesus and you'll be saved. You will be forgiven. Think about God who chose to do His will 
Think about who God chose to do his will and preach his truth, to lead people to his grace. He didn't choose the one who was perfect. He chose the one who was forgiven. He didn't choose the one who was always faithful. He chose the one who experienced his grace. And if you've been forgiven much, guess what? You can love so much more. Do you love him? Then feed his sheep. Do his will. You are not what you did. You are not. That's something that you did. That's not who you are. The devil wants to connect your actions to your identity. You did something bad. The devil wants you to, wants you to think that you are bad. And you'll always be this bad person. But Jesus makes all things new. It's not what I did. It's not who I am. I am a child of God. Yeah, that was a bad page in the book. Yeah, it was. It was a bad chapter in my life. But my story is not over yet. God is still writing your story and my story. And I'm confident of this. Paul said, you can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it out until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. Whatever it is, the weight, the guilt, the shame, take it to the one who died for that. Confess it. Turn from it. Find freedom. Let it go. Let it go. Let me make it a little bit easier for you this morning. I'm going to make it a little bit easier for you to maybe let these things go. You say, a preacher, that's real easy for you to say this morning. Oh, just let it go. I, I recognize it's not quite that easy. Some of this guilt and shame you've been carrying around for a long time. A lot of years. And as the worship team makes their way back up this morning, I want to just give you a few scriptures. They'll be behind me on the screen. But I want you to see, what does God say about you? Well, I carry around this guilt, I carry around this shame, and I, I, oh, it's just been a lot of years and I'm carrying all this around. What does God say about you? Well, I'm glad you asked this morning. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. What else does God say? 1 Peter 2.9, interesting that it's Peter. You are a chosen race a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What else does God say about who you are? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who does God say you are? Does God say you deserve that shame? You should wallow in that? No, he says this, no longer do I call you servants. These are words of Jesus. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you darkness into his marvelous light John 1 12 but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God what does God say about you 
Romans chapter 8. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Who does God say you are? Colossians chapter 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Galatians 3, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Romans 8, 1, one of my, this, is, this is my favorite verse in the Bible, my favorite chapter in the Bible, out of my favorite book in the Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You walk around with shame, you walk around with that worldly sorrow, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Philippians 3, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does God say about you? Chapter 2 of Ephesians says, we are God's masterpiece, created to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. What does God say about you? That's just the tip of the iceberg what God says about you and who he says you are. We're going to close with this song. Who does God say you are? God says that you're forgiven. And God says, let it go. Shame is the devil's playground. God died for that shame. God is speaking this morning and he says, let it go. You are forgiven. Worship the Lord this morning as we close with this song.
this was ministering to this morning, but Jesus, you are our King. And if you've been carrying around some guilt and some shame, worldly sorrow, I pray that this would be your moment to let it go. I pray that this would be the message, this would be the song, this would be the moment for you. Years and years and years and years you've carried around worldly sorrow of guilt, worldly sorrow with this shame. Jesus died to take away that shame. Jesus died so that you would no longer have any condemnation from anyone else. But more importantly, there is no condemnation from yourself. You no longer condemn yourself for any sin that you have committed, anything you have done, anything you have said, anything that you regret. You no longer have condemnation to give yourself if you're in Christ Jesus. And I pray that this would be the day that you let it go. And if you're in a posture of worship and prayer where you are right now, Maybe that's eyes closed. And if you were in this service, I would say the same thing. Just get in this frame of mind where there's no distractions. And you can concentrate on the words you've heard and what we just sang. And you can now decide for yourself, you know what? I'm going to trust, surrender, and let it go. This is my day. This is my moment. If that's you this morning, in this time of worship and prayer, I don't want to let another moment go by of you carrying around guilt and shame that you've had for two hours or 20 years. I want you to be able to give it up and let it go to God. Let it go. And if that's you this morning, I want you to be very specific listening and watching online. Put down in those comments, I have let it go. This is my day. If you're here this morning, gather one of those that have gathered on this worship team, those the support crew that's here. If you're here this morning and this is your day, in this time with no distractions, no one's going to call you out or, or call you out online or looking around. You say, Pastor, this is my day. I am ready and I mean it. I am ready to let it go. If you were here and you're here this morning, I would ask you just to raise your hands lightly and say, Pastor, that's me. Be bold this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Freedom. Freedom has come to this place. God's Spirit is here. Freedom has come to this place this morning. And I believe freedom has come to where you are watching online this morning. God, in the name of Jesus this morning, we shout victory. We shout praise this morning. That there is freedom in your house. God, the shame and the guilt that that has been carried around, God, today is our day to let it go. We give those things to you, Christ. You died for those things. There is now no condemnation that I am pouring on myself. Devil, you have no place here. You have no right here. Take your shame and go somewhere else, devil. I am going to live in godly sorrow, repent for my sins, and give it all to you. I live in victory and freedom this morning. 
I praise your name, Jesus, this morning. God, I knew you were up to something in this place. I knew, God, you were up to something. We weren't done with let it go, God, and I know now why. I thank you, Jesus, in advance for the way people's lives are going to be changed from this moment forward with free hearts and free minds. God, we live in freedom. We live in your glory and your victory this morning, God. Every moment of every day, your mercies are new every single morning. Help us, Lord, to draw nearer and closer to you with each and every waking moment of our day. God, we love you this morning. We pray for those, Lord, who would need, this is going to be a little bit of a process of letting go, God giving it to you, surrendering it, laying at your feet and saying, I'm done. God, in this moment, I pray a touch on the folks that have let these things go. Take them right now, Lord Jesus. Keep them close by your side. Might you bless their lives, Lord. Might you give them things in place of those things that they let go. Your goodness, your love, your praise, God, your glory. And we will live, God, from glory to glory, walking with you each and every step of the way. Thank you, God, for what you've done in this service, Lord. We are humbled in your presence. Now, Lord, as we depart from this service and, and Lord, move on with our Sunday, might we not depart from your dear presence. We love you, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless and minister. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us online. Thank you for those who have come this morning to serve. Don't forget, a couple more weeks, February 7th, we'll be live right back here in person, socially distanced and all of that. But I encourage you to come and be a part of the family of God. And if you're new to us watching online, uh, I pray that you would come and join us, that you would find your way here to Hermitage and, and come and join us in person. I know there are some that are watching for the first time this morning, and we would love to welcome you. Uh, in person. So come and join us. God bless you. I love you. I love being your pastor and we will see you next time. God bless you.